And I'm going to read our passage. If you have your Bibles, you can open up to Philippians 1, 18 through 26. So open up your Bibles to Philippians 1, 18 through 26. So this is the word of the Lord. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, um, Jesus Christ will return, will turn out, <laughs> sorry, it's a little closer, all right, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, and it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Steffi. Well, good morning. And uh, my name is Zach. I'm one of the pastors here at The Vine. And it's so good that we can be gathered here this morning as we continue to work our way through the book of Philippians. And so if you have your Bible, why don't you open it up to the text we have here on the screen, uh, Philippians 1.18. And the second half of the verse there. We're continuing today in uh, a little tradition we've started where we're, we're opening up uh, ourselves when we preach to questions at the end, and we can make this more conversational uh, at the end of the sermon. So if you have a question, and I hope you do, uh, you can hit up John on Slack. Uh, John Centineo, where's John at? There he is. Uh, hit up John Centineo on Slack with any question about anything, and he'll send me a text message, uh, not Slack, because I don't have Slack on my phone, it's boundaries, work-life boundaries, and, uh, and so send him a question on Slack, and he'll text it to me, and we'll go from there. All right, so let me just start out by telling you what I think the whole point of this text this morning is. And it's found in verse 26. Look at it with me, verse 26. Paul's writing to the church in Philippi that's recently been planted, and this will make more sense uh, when, we, when we digest it here this morning. But verse 26 says this, so that in me, meaning like Paul's saying, in my ministry to, to you guys, in my ministry to you, so that in me, you, Philippian church, may have ample cause to what? To glory in Christ because of my coming to you again. All right? Paul's deepest passion for this ancient church in modern-day Greece, recently planted, is what? What does he say? That they would have ample cause to glory in Christ. That's the whole point today. He wants Christians, 
especially in Philippi, but Christians everywhere, to glory in Christ. He wants them to praise and worship Jesus for who he is and what he's done. His deepest passion is that these people would do 1 Corinthians 10, 31, whether we eat or we drink, we do all things to the glory of God. Paul wants these people to cherish Jesus for who he is, treasure him, cherish him, be satisfied in him. He wants people to hear the news, the factual news of what Jesus Christ has done in history and say, man, that is awesome. That is worthy to be trusted. That's worthy for me to give my life to that. Paul's deepest passion is for Christ to be glorified in these people, through these people. And and notice what he's not saying in contrast to oftentimes what we think about from our culture. What he's not saying is, so that in my coming to you, Philippian church, you'll have ample reason to have positive self-esteem. He doesn't say that, does he? He doesn't say, you know, Philippian church, I I just think you guys are kind of beating yourself up a little too much. You just really think a little more highly of yourselves. He doesn't say that. And not that those things are necessarily bad, maybe in a different context. We could talk about that in another sermon for another day. But he doesn't want them thinking about themselves at all. Did you catch that? There's nothing about, about them focusing on themselves here. It's all about Christ. He wants them to taste the freedom of self-forgetfulness. The freedom of self-forgetfulness through being absorbed in Jesus, right? Being awestruck by Jesus, being awakened to the beauty of Jesus and what he's done. Like you don't stand um, on on the top of a 14,000-foot mountain in the Rocky Mountains in Colorado and say to yourself, look at this splendor. Man, I am just really proud of who I am and my positive self-image. Like, nobody does that. Why? There's something greater before our eyes. No, you stand there on that mountain and you're consumed with what? With feeling small and humble. But I would also venture to say, never more alive. And that's what Paul wants for this church. That's the, the, the whole train of thought is leading to that sentence this morning. It's my job to convince you of that. But that's the point. Look at 26 again. So that in me, meaning in my ministry to you, Philippian church, you, Philippian church, may have ample cause, um, a lot of reason to what? To glory in Christ. Not glory in yourself, glory in Christ. Not glory in Philippian culture or the glory of, of, um, of the Roman Empire. No, no, no. Glory in Christ because of my coming to you again, all right? So uh, we don't use this word glorify or glory a whole lot in the English language, but it's all over the Bible. And so sometimes I feel like there's a disconnect there, especially if we're new to our Bible or we've just become a Christian. Um, 
it's really helpful to understand in a more profound way what does it mean to glorify something or to glory in something or to, um, yeah. And, and here's just a few examples that I think of. And I've already, I've already hinted at it. But maybe it's not the mountaintop. Maybe it's the Grand Canyon. And you stand on the edge of the Grand Canyon and you make a big vacation out of going out west and you do the whole thing, national parks. The Grand Canyon is like the pinnacle of that experience. You come home and you report to your friends how your trip was and, and what would you say or what could you say? You could say something like, man, the Grand Canyon was glorious. And we would all know what that means, right? It means breathtaking. It means beautiful. It means the wonder, the grandeur, the attraction of it, the, the taking it all in to savor it. It was glorious, right? Another example we can think about, and this is seeing it negatively, is sometimes you'll hear like, hey man, you should steer clear of watching that movie because there's just a lot of gratuitous violence. And we might say it glorifies violence. It glorifies violence. What do we mean by that? We mean it presents violence as attractive, as, as good, as worthy to be pursued. Um, one of my favorite movies, final example, is uh, The Gladiator. Classic, amazing movie. And one of the things that they talk about a lot in the beginning especially is, quote, the glory of Rome. Like we're doing things for the glory of Rome, ancient Rome and the gladiators and the the kingdom of Rome that spread from Spain to India and it's just this amazing culture. Brutal, amazing. And when they say the, we're doing it for the glory of Rome, what do they mean? They mean the, the beauty of, of Rome and what it's done and, and the technology that they invented at the time and, and that the Roman government should be trusted and it's awe-inspiring, this domineering force in the world. So this is a very, very important biblical word. We don't use that often in our modern English. So I just want to make sure we understand what it means. It's a really big deal for our discipleship as Christians, okay? So we're just going to walk through this text, and I want to show you Paul's train of thought. I want you to see how the sentences fit together. And, and, and the goal of Paul for this Philippian church is also the same goal for him, for us, right now, today, Madison 2022, and the vine in any church in Madison that loves Jesus. It's the same goal. It's the same goal. Let's put our logical hats on for a second. Lean in. Lean in and see how this works, all right? So let's back up just a bit. Let's summarize where we've been. So uh, this won't be on the screen, but you can see it in your Bible if it's on your phone or in paper. Um, Paul starts out by just saying how much he appreciates this Philippian church. They've supported him. It's very important to remember that he's sitting in prison for the gospel, okay? He's sitting in some type of a Roman jail, prison, and he's writing to them and just thanking them for standing with him in that. He prays for them, verses 9, 10, and 11. He encourages them by basically saying, this was uh, what Houston preached last week so well, 
that the word is going forward. The gospel is being preached. That's verses 12 through 18. And he says, you know, whether it's for good motives or bad motives, whoops, uh, the gospel is being preached, and that's all he cares about. He doesn't talk about himself much here, other than, guys, you know I'm in prison, but it's like, it's all about the Philippian church and how thankful he is for them, how their ministry to him has been so beautiful. He's praying for them, and then he's like, guys, don't worry about me. The gospel is moving forward in the world, and that's what's most important. So look at verse 18. It won't be on the screen, but just look at it on your phone or in paper Bible. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, good motives or bad, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Okay? The word is going forward. That's what's firing me up. That's my agenda, Paul says to the Philippian church. And then he's like, and while I'm on the train of thought of rejoicing... The end of verse 18 on the screen. Yes, I will rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not at all be ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body whether by life or by death. So what is he saying here? Verse 19, look at it. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this, what's the this that he's talking about? It's his living situation. He's in prison. He's in jail, okay? So what he's saying is, this is gonna turn out for my deliverance, meaning because you're praying for me, And there's the help of the Spirit of Jesus. See that in verse 19? I'm going to get out of this jail cell. I'm going to experience deliverance. End of verse 19. See it there? And then it's like he just continues in verse 20 to say, and when I do, I'm going to continue my ministry of making disciples through planting churches. And as a result, Jesus is going to be seen as honorable and revered and respected and cherished and trusted as a result of my ministry to you and to others. That's what we see it in verse 20 where he says, Christ will be honored in my body, in my ministry, through what I'm doing. That's kind of what he means. Whether by life or by death. And so it's kind of like he's saying, I might die, but I don't think I'm gonna. But if I do die, Christ is gonna be honored still. But I know that's probably not gonna happen. But then, again, his train of thought, he's like, Now, while we're on the topic, though, of living and dying, look at verse 20. While I'm on the topic of living and dying, ultimately, no matter what, I win. Either one, I win. Either one, living or dying, it's all good. Either one, I experience the glory of Christ through my life. Because what does he say? Look at verse 21. Famous verse. For... So this is the reason why he could say that. Christ is going to be honored in my body, whether by life or death. And here's the reason why. For, verse 21, to me, to live is Christ. And to die is gain. What does that mean? For, 
The meaning to live is Christ, to die is gain. What in the world does that mean? Well, let's start with to live is Christ. Let's just keep reading. Oftentimes when you ask questions of the Bible, if you just keep reading, they'll get answered. So it gets answered here. What do you mean to live as Christ, to die as gain? So Paul, what do you mean by to live as Christ? Well, here's what he means, verse 22. If I am to live in the flesh, meaning in my body, continue my ministry to you, Philippian church, that means fruitful labor for me. That means fruitful labor for me. Now, fruitful in the Bible means like good things are happening. The Spirit's at work. There's evidence of his grace. It's a, it's a metaphor for successful ministry. And he's saying, like, Philippian church, you guys are that fruit. This church has just been planted. And read all the other letters of Paul. There's a lot of churches that have been planted in Thessalonica, in Ephesus, in Corinth. That's fruitful labor, he's saying. That's a good thing. The gospel is spreading all over the Roman Empire. It's like this beautiful explosion of gospel goodness just radiating out from Jerusalem. That's what he means, to live is Christ. It means that Paul was so consumed with Christ, his all-consuming passion that was Christ, that was his life. What did he say to the church in Galatia, Galatia 2.20? I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. That's what it means to live as Christ. Christ is alive in me, and his ministry by the power of the Holy Spirit is going to be working out of me and seeing amazing things happen, right? That's good. He's saying that's good. That's a good thing, right? That's really good. But at the same time, what does he say? Dying would be gain. Dying would be gain. You ever, you ever said that? I mean, who talks like this, right? My death would be gain. If I, if I stood up here and said that, you guys might, you know, exact needs a little prayer after the service or, you know, talk to Kim. Is he okay? But here's what he means. Keep reading, right before verse 23. Live as Christ to die as gain, yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. He's conflicted. Verse 23, I'm hard-pressed between the two. Stuck between a rock and a hard place. I'm conflicted. My desire is to depart to be with Christ, and this is, the, this is the, the sentence, for that is far better. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. We see, we look through a window into Paul's priorities in that statement right there. To be with Christ, for that is far better. He doesn't say it's just a little better. He doesn't say it's like medium better. No, he says it's far better. Far better. 
dying and, and leaving this world as we know it and being with Christ is far better. So I'm convicted this week in, in my prep, and I, I invite you to join me in it. Like, do we believe that? Like, do we believe that? Is Paul just kind of kind of losing it a little bit? Or do we believe that? Like, is Christ that much of a treasure, a desire? And I'm sitting here thinking about Paul, and I'm going, Paul, like, don't you have any, like, earthly desires? Like, maybe, like, Paul, don't you want to get married, have some kids, see, see your grandkids as you grow old? Or maybe it's, Paul, don't you want to stay single and just have this amazing freedom for ministry to go worldwide th through, through your efforts? Yet which I shall not, yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I'm hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. Dying and being with Christ is far better. I think this is a really good prayer point for us. Like, Lord, would you would you make me see like this? Would you change my heart to be oriented like this? Because I, I don't think I'm there right now. Like, like for me, I'm thinking about like, man, I love my wife. I want to grow old with my wife. I told her that this week on a walk. Babe, I look forward to growing old with you. Do I believe that Christ is better than our marriage? Like I want to grow old with my kids. I got four of them. I'm going to grow old in deep relationship with them. Death would cut that off, as far as I can tell, for a time being, as far as I can tell. But do I believe that being with Christ is better? Like, I want to grow old enough to have some squishy little grandbabies, and I just get to hold them and snuggle with them and experience that. Yeah. Hold them up there, Clark. Let's see them. I want something like that. <laughs> Grandbabies. Kids, take note. Um, like, do I believe that Christ is better? Honestly. Like, I've tasted traveling the world for the sake of church planting. Different continents that I've never been to before. I want to do it more. I want to see churches continue to be planted in Madison and among our our partners, I want it more. But do I believe that, that Christ is better? I want to see churches that love Jesus scattered all over the city of Madison. Madison multiply. Do I believe, though, that Christ is better? I want to see this church just flourish and grow. I want all you guys just to flourish and grow satisfied in Jesus. Thriving, flourishing under the word of God and the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit. I want to see that. But do I believe that Christ is better? Paul believes that. Do we believe that? 
And sometimes when you're, when, you're, when you're struck with, and here's what the Bible says, and here's where I am, you don't, we don't know what to do with that. Let me just suggest, here's what you do with that. You just say, pray a simple prayer, and I, I've been doing it all week, like a guy that came to Jesus, and he said, Jesus, if you can, will you heal my daughter? And he, Jesus says, if I can? All things are possible for him who believes. And he says, what does he say? He says, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Like, that's a, that's a great prayer. It's honest. Casting yourself on the, on the mercy of God and the help of God. So, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief here. I want to believe that you are better than everything. Lord, would you do that in us right now as a church? Would you allow us to see Jesus as so all-satisfying that everything pales in comparison. Amen. Verse 24. He, he turns a corner, though, now in his, you see him processing as he's writing. He turns a corner. Verse 24. But to remain in the flesh, meaning to continue in my ministry, to you guys and to other churches being planted is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith so that in me you may have ample, here it is again, we've come full circle, that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. So at the end of the day, Paul's convinced He's going to stay. He will remain for the sake of the flourishing of this local church in Philippi. But let's, let's close here. How does Paul define their flourishing? You see it in the text? See if you can see it. What does he say? Verse 25. How does Paul define progress? How does Paul define joy? What does it say? I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith so that you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus. Progress and joy, according to Paul, according to this text, looks like glorying in Christ, cherishing Christ, seeing Christ as beautiful, seeing Christ as worthy of all the superlatives you could come up with that describe beauty and, 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 and splendor and, and worthiness. Like, how does the world define progress? How does the world define joy? How does God define it? And his desire for them, full circle, we were ending now where we started, is that they, that his ministry to them that he thinks is going to continue would result in something, them glorying in Christ. Consume with the greatness, beauty, goodness of who Jesus is and what he's done. Paul's desire, God's desire for us, 
Philippian church 2,000 years ago, Madison church 2,000 years later. Paul knows, God knows that when we take our eyes off of ourselves and rest them firmly on Jesus, that's his agenda. And that's where God gets glory and we get satisfaction, right? That's where you're going to find, we're all chasing peace, we're all chasing joy, we're all chasing satisfaction. And, And the claim here is, if you really want it, find it in Jesus. Find it in Jesus. Find it in glorying, in cherishing, embracing who he is and what he's done. Make that your center point of orientation. That's progress. That's joy. So the question might come, how? And maybe I'm anticipating a question in the Q&A, but how do we do that? How do we do that? And there's, there's just no substitute for embracing the revelation of God in Jesus and reminding yourself of it day after day after day. So what's that mean? It means I should probably spend a lot of time getting to know Jesus in the Bible. I should probably spend a lot of time reading my Bible so I can see the story of what God has done from beginning to end of history. What was God up to from beginning to end of history? That shows me who he is. That shows me his character. It shows me it's all centered on Jesus. So, you know, if you want to glory in Christ, if you want to believe that Christ is better, there's more, but it's never less than I spend a lot of time in my Bible. And so it could be individual, but it also can be communal. It's part of the reason we have city groups is because I want to read it on my own. I want to know it on my own. I want to memorize it on my own, but I also need you to remind me that that Jesus is worth it. I need you to remind me that to glory in Christ is really my satisfaction compared to running after a paycheck, running after relationships, or whatever it might be. Those are all good things. They're just not God things. I need you to remind me of that, according to the word. The progress and joy is not running after a paycheck or running after, you know, better relationships. Progress, prestige, everybody liking me. I need you to remind me, those aren't, that's not progress and joy as God defines it. Progress and joy is being consumed with Jesus and seeing him and who he is and what he's done and just sitting there and, and, and embracing it. And letting it change me. So I need you to remind me. It's, it's, I'm going to read my Bible. I'm going to read it a lot. And it's going to have an impact on my life day after day after day. But I need you to come alongside me and say, hey, you know what I was reading this week? Let me remind you. You know how I'm seeing the glory of Jesus in my life? You know how I'm seeing the, the cross and the forgiveness that, that brings intersect with my life? You know how I'm seeing the hope of the, react, the resurrection help me out as I'm doing this suffering? You know how, how I know the promise of Jesus that he's going to return one day to make all things right and how that's helping me uh, engage in the world today where there's so much bad news? Like, I need you to remind me of that. We need one another. So it's, it's individual in the word, but it's also communal, okay? And that's Paul's agenda. Word-centered, communal-centered, and that's why we emphasize those same things. Paul's agenda for the Philippian church is our agenda for the vine, the Madison church, that we would glory in Christ and see him as glorious. Do we have ears to hear? Do we have eyes to see? Lord, help us. Let's pray.
Lord, we do ask for your help. And we thank you for the encouragement that can come this morning through seeing progress as you define progress, seeing joy as you define joy, having our um, priorities maybe find their proper place this morning. So Lord, we believe, help our unbelief. We need your help in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, let's look at a few questions here. Didn't bring my reading glasses. Um, Philippian Church. By the way, thank you for whoever who's submitting these. Thank you. I think this is this is going to be helpful. Uh, what is that? Okay, Zach. It seems like Paul's endurance and suffering was meant to encourage the Philippian Church. What are examples of endurance and suffering that? you look to for encouragement that cause you to glory in Christ. I'm going to interpret this as, um, as examples of people suffering, and like not my own. I'm perfectly willing to share my own, but I'll focus on other people. What are examples of endurance and suffering that, that you look to for encouragement that cause you to glory in Christ? Well, I just, I mean, I think um, first thing that comes to mind is like if you read Hebrews chapter 11, there is this great cloud of witnesses. And, and the Hebrew, I mean, talk about endurance and suffering. I got to be careful because I could go off on this for a long time. Um, but, but Hebrews is a book all about the glory of Christ and that Christ is better than angels. Christ is better than Moses. And, and these, in the Hebrews, um, the church that, that, um, that's, that's, that's being written to in the book of Hebrews is a suffering church. Um, most people believe that Nero was the emperor of Rome at the time, and he's, he's burning Christians at the stake just for the fun of it, and it's, it's horrible. But the author of Hebrews is trying to encourage these people by saying, listen, people have gone before you. By faith, they endured. And so if you want to see people um, endure because of the glory of Christ, read Hebrews chapter 11. And he just, I won't rattle it all off, but that, that should encourage you. It's because it's the same motivation that this question is asking. Like, what do you look to to be encouraged to keep going? And, and, and the author of Hebrews is doing the exact same thing here with this ancient church. But I would say there's just, you know, so many examples of, of church history um, honestly, I think of my mom. Uh, my mom has had a really hard life. She's struggled with um, anxiety and depression her whole life. And it's never, she's never found the right medical cocktail, you know, that can, that can like take the edge fully off. Um, she's pursued lots of counseling. She reads her Bible probably way more than, even, than I do. Um, she loves the Lord. Um, she had a really hard marriage to my dad before he died. Uh, her, her relationship with her mom growing up was, you know, not good. My, my, my grandma was very, very critical of her. Um, she's 76 now, and she's, she's continuing. She hasn't given up yet. Um, she's endured a lot, and I could... It probably wouldn't be appropriate to tell all those stories right here, but 
Um, that, is, that is inspiring for me, just to see my mom. And all of you probably can think of examples, too, of people that you really respected in the faith that have just suffered, and they're, they're like a few decades ahead of you. Um, look to them. Talk to them. Ask them questions. I hope that answers the question. Um, Oh, wow, that's a good question. Um, I have no idea what to say, but I'm going to risk it here. Okay, Paul, seemed, Paul seems to both trust God will allow him to be released from prison, but also trust that death is far better than life. Why should we pray for specific outcomes and things we desire if either outcome is glorifying to him? Um, I, I'm going to venture to say that if either outcome is glorifying to him, you don't need to pray about it. You just need to decide by faith. So for example, um, I've, I've talked about, I think a couple weeks ago, I talked about our adoption of Maya. And at the time, we were all in with, pretty much finished with all the paperwork, everything, of adopting a, a, a baby from Bulgaria. And, and we got this notification that... Um, that there's another domestic adoption available. There's this little black girl in Alabama that's in foster care. They want to get him out of foster care as, as soon as they can. Our paperwork was done. We were ready to go. Do we want to switch the last minute? And I remember talking to my buddy Justin on the phone, and it was like, what do we do? Right? Like, we were all in. We paid all this money um, for Bulgaria, but there's this, you know, there's this amazing opportunity right here in Alabama. We got you know, we, what, this, this baby would be in our house in three weeks. And he just said, you know what? Like, you just have to, you have to decide, be, knowing that God's heart is for the orphan. So just pick. He can't screw it up. You know what I mean? You're free. Like, a lot of us, like, pray, like, Lord, I just want your will to be done. And like, like, he's out to, like, squash us if we screw it up. Like, he's given us his will. This is his will, okay? Now, now, act by faith, right? So Irene, God, you love the orphan. Okay, he hasn't written it in the sky that, um, that we're supposed to do it in Bulgaria. He can do that if he wants to. He didn't. So by faith, we're just gonna make a choice. We don't need to pray about that because we know we're in, we're, we're operating in God's will, Right? It's like when, when, when the college guy comes to me and says, um, hey, will you pray for me? Uh, I love Jesus. I'm a Christian, but I just can't stop sleeping with my girlfriend. It's like, no, I'm not going to pray for you in that. Like, you, you need to obey. You don't need prayer. You need obedience. Now, that sounds, that sounds harsh, but I think, like, the, the prayer comment is over-spiritualizing what this guy who, who's a Christian knows what he's supposed to do, Right? So he doesn't need prayer, he needs obedience. So let's, let's walk in obedience and see the, see the fruit of that, okay? I, I, I look, I'm looking at some of your faces wondering if I'm stirring up a huge can of worms here. I'm not trying to say we need less prayer. We don't need less prayer. We need way more prayer. But let's think with biblical categories, okay? Um, I think we've got time for one more. If I can keep it brief. Uh, let's see. How
how can we as the vine keep each other accountable on the ultimate desire, which is Christ? Oh, that's a great question. Well, I think there's just an, an, an I mean, what this goes back to for me is um, the intentionality of conversations that go below the surface, Right? So is my life structured in such a way that I am able to have conversations that go below the surface? Is my life structured in such a way so that I'm comfortable to have conversations below the surface? Do, or am I going to like try to take it back up to the surface? Can I initiate that? Or if someone initiates it with me, can I reciprocate that? Because I think a lot of us, um, myself included, like, if I asked, if I just asked you, like, after the service, tell me, how are you glorying in Christ right now? Like, they might be like, whoa, buddy, like, getting a little heavy, you know? Like, I prefer the weather and the Packers or whatever. Let's talk about the Super Bowl and the food we're going to eat. And that's okay, but I think we just get in bad habits of superficiality. And I wonder if we, could, if we could change our habits to, like, take the risk of something that might feel awkward in the moment, but the more and more we do it, it's not awkward anymore. To just say, like, man, maybe it doesn't have to be like that. Maybe it's as simple as, how can I pray for you this week? What have you been reading in your Bible lately that's, that's moving your heart? Um, how have you seen God answer prayer in your life? Like, I, I would just encourage us to um, challenge us to think more about how we talk. And is the way that I'm talking actually benefiting somebody? It can be a, a zero, you know what I mean? Like, we're not going to talk about horrible things. That's a negative 10. But our talking can just be a, a zero. Like, no offense, like, maybe the Super Bowl's not a zero. But, you know, like, maybe the Super Bowl is... We can think theologically about football and the glory of athletics and God created these bodies that are amazing, that can do these amazing athletic feats. Okay, yeah, let's think, let's, let's watch the Super Bowl to the glory of God tonight. But is, it, is, is there more than that that we could talk about in the lobby or, or whatever? And I don't want anyone to feel like super pressured or like, oh gosh, I'm nervous and every time Zach sees me, he's going to ask me some hard question. Like, it's not that, but I'm just asking us to consider like maybe we can go from just maybe not like a, a, a zero, but more of like a plus six. A plus six could be, how can I pray for you? Plus seven could be, um, how are you struggling right now? And, and maybe is there a verse that, that I can c comfort you with? Or, you know, you know what I mean? So I think that's one way to hold people. We can hold each other accountable by just how we talk, all right? All right, we're gonna transition now to the Lord's Supper, and John's gonna come up, one of our elders, and lead us in that. Thank you guys so much.